Well, good morning, everyone. It's a great joy to be with you yet again. And in fact, uh, I will be here next week. So if you want to plan to do something else, <laughs> you've had forewarning. Let me pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We ask now that as uh, we uh, continue to uh, reflect on your word, that you would open our hearts to receive your word. And what we receive, may we live out. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I want to talk about sin. And those who know me well uh, realise that I am eminently qualified to talk about this topic. (laughs) The late President Calvin Coolidge, who was the 30th American president and in office from 1923 to 1929, he returned home from church one Sunday morning and uh, his wife hadn't been able to be with him on this occasion and so when he returned, she asked him what the preacher spoke about uh, in his sermon and uh, Coolidge, known as a man of very few words, replied, he spoke about sin. Now, somewhat determined, his wife pressed him uh, because she wanted to know more about what was said during the sermon. And Coolidge duly responded, well, I think he was against it. That was his reply. Well, good for that preacher. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So this morning, filling in for Tim, I want to continue the sermon series uh, that you are part of uh, and have been for the past few weeks, uh, Seeking Spiritual R&R, Revival and Renewal. And I want to consider uh, David's repentance and renewal through a time of personal failure and to do this through the lens of Psalm 51. And that's why it was read as a reading uh, and not a responsive reading. Now, this is a very personal psalm a lament for sin, and the particular sin that it referred to here is adultery. I can see everyone sitting up. A sermon on adultery. Wow. Okay. Here we go. As you know, many of the Psalms in the Bible have a simple statement in italics underneath, underneath the title. Now, these superscriptions, as they are termed, while probably uh, added much later than the composition of the psalm itself, give us some hints as to authorship, uh, historical background, and the context in which the psalm was used in terms of worship and so on. Now, the superscription attached to Psalm 51 clearly states that the background to this personal lament is the prophet Nathan's confrontation of King David with his sordid affair with Bathsheba. Now, there's a lot that we could uh, um, talk about as far as that particular incident, and we read some of the details in our Old Testament reading from uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you want to read more, then you go on into uh, chapter 12. But let me read a rather upbeat version of events that I came across during the week. Now, the story begins innocently enough as King David of Israel was staying at home when other kings were off to war. The irony here, of course, is that uh, rather than being with his troops and defending his people against their enemies, David stays home. And what does he do? He abuses his own. 
in the persons of Rebecca, uh, Rebecca, Bathsheba and Uriah. This one-time sling-shotting, swashbuckling, songwriting soldier was sitting this one out. And then late one afternoon it all happened. The old warrior was bored with the soaps and the talk shows on TV and took a walk outside. But wait a minute, he noticed a woman, a very beautiful woman, as the Hebrew text says, taking a dip in the pool next door. Then the former man of action went into a different kind of action. A couple of calls gave him the woman's name and revealed that her husband was away with the army. The king then sent for Bathsheba and she came to the palace. They had a few gin and tonics, they made love, then she went home and that was that. A few, moments, a few, years, a few months later, however, there came a message to the king. David opened the envelope and read it. The words in Hebrew were fairly brief and it said it all. I'm pregnant, Bathsheba. Again, the king acted and to account for the pregnancy, he brought Bathsheba's husband back from the battlefront. Go home and sleep with your lovely wife, he said to her husband, slipping the soldier a bottle from the royal wine cellar. But Uriah refused the offer and instead slept with the servants out on the lawn. Here is more irony. Uriah the Hittite, as the term refers to, so he was an outsider in a sense, Uriah the Hittite was of more sterling character than King David as God, God's anointed servant. And as one commentator said, Uriah drunk is more pious than David sober. So as the plot thickens... The story sickens. King David ordered General Joab, his military commander, to return Uriah to the war zone and to put him where the fighting was heaviest. And word finally came back to David that Uriah had been killed in action. The king then did a most magnanimous thing. He married the broken-hearted war widow. End of the story? Not quite. One day the prophet Nathan showed up at the palace. He told the king about a rich man who had stolen a poor man's only lamb and slaughtered it for dinner. The king was enraged. What? Who's this bloke? Tell me and I'll rub him out. You're the bloke, said Nathan. And David was devastated. Well, this story albeit told in a whimsical way, this morning provides the background of Psalm 51. King David was seeking relief from the guilt associated with his sin with Bathsheba. And so in Psalm 51, he cries out to God in anguish. And this essentially is what a lament is. A lament, a lamentation in the Bible, is a prayer or a cry for help coming out of of a feeling of pain and great need. And over one-third of the psalms, something like 50, are actually laments. One whole book in the Old Testament, Lamentations, expresses the confusion and suffering felt at the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians in 587. Jesus himself lamented in the Garden of Gethsemane and he said, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you, Take this cup from me, 
yet not what I will, but what you wills. Now, when we feel blessed in life, when we experience goodness and wholeness, we turn to God in praise and thanksgiving. But what happens when we feel lousy, when we're overcome by life's experiences, whether it's grief, whether it's pain, whether it's failure, whether it's embarrassment, whether it's uh, brokenness? When we hurt physically, we cry out in pain. When we hurt spiritually, we cry out in lament. And often our lament in difficult times is, why me, God? Why is this happening to me? What have I done wrong? Why me? While David's lament in Psalm 51 arose from guilt, nonetheless, his is an honest cry of distress to God, for he recognised God's sovereignty over the whole of life, acknowledging his God as powerful and good and just. And Paul introduced that psalm by saying much the same thing, acknowledging God's sovereignty, his goodness in times of great need. And at its heart, biblical laments are an expression of trust in the character and purposes of God so intimate and loving as those purposes are fulfilled in our life. Now, without analysing Psalm 51 too much because it will destroy the flow of that psalm, let's just consider four points for a moment. David's responses in the aftermath of his sin with Bathsheba. So firstly, David's turning to God. God was his only hope, and so he threw himself onto God and so... In verse 1 of this psalm we read, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. So here the character of God is highlighted. Our God is merciful, loving and compassionate. And this was Moses' experience as well. As we read in Exodus 34, The Lord, the Lord... The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Now we know more about the mercy of God than either Moses or King David because we know Christ. And when we're in a position of helplessness caused by our guilt, our sinfulness, then we can turn to Christ. Jesus encourages us to do so. In Matthew 11, we read the words of Jesus, Come to me, he said, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is the assurance that every Christian has, that while we're always responsible for our actions and accountable to God for all that we do, there is no sin so terrible that God will not forgive. Now think about that for a moment, because someone's going to say, what about the unforgivable sin that Scripture mentions? Because we are Christians, then we cannot commit 
the unforgivable sin, for that would mean rejecting the very means of God's forgiveness of our sins in the person of Jesus Christ. So we can't commit the unforgivable sin if Jesus is present in our lives through the Holy Spirit. The second point to notice from Psalm 51 is David's prayer for cleansing. Verse 2 says, Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And verse 7 of the psalm says, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Hyssop was the shrub used by the priests in the Old Testament to sprinkle blood on anyone or anything that was uh, ceremonially unclean. So David here is crying out to his ultimate priest, God himself, to forgive him and to declare him clean of his sin. John the Apostle in the New Testament exhorts us to cry out to God for cleansing too. For he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, that is, cry out to God in lament, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us, like the hyssop of old, purify us from all unrighteousness. So Christ has purchased our forgiveness on the cross. He has paid the full price for our sin. And this does not mean that we do not have to ask for forgiveness each time we know that we've sinned, each time that we transgress. Our asking for forgiveness each time shows that we depend on God and look only to him for mercy. So David, in his intense guilt, looked helplessly toward God, but he also looked confidently towards God that in his mercy, God would forgive him and make him clean again. So how much more for us who know Christ, that when we sin, we are to look to Christ and to claim the forgiveness, the forgiveness that is ours, no matter what we have done. Psalm 51 goes on to show how David recognised the seriousness of his sin. He knew the reality of sin in his life and the consequences of what he's done. Verse 3 says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. He could not get this act of adultery and the murder out of his mind. The tape kept playing, as it were. The disc kept spinning, the tap kept running and would not stop. David knew that while he had uh, caused Uriah's death and also the death of his uh, uh, unnamed child that was conceived from that illicit relationship with uh, Bathsheba, it was through these acts that his God had been despised. And verse 4 says, this in effect, he says, "...against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so you are right in your verdict." and justified when you judge. What makes our sin to be sin is that it is an affront to God's gracious and just character. It is a violation of God's purposes for our lives, which is to love God with our whole heart 
to love God with our mind and our soul and to love each other as ourselves and only to do those things which please God, our Heavenly Father. So hurting one another is bad enough, but when we offend God, when we belittle God, when we ignore God, then that is truly terrible. David admits as much when he says, against you, you only have I sinned. And to his credit, David did not try to rationalise his actions, but affirmed that God was justified in his verdict and that David was a miserable sinner. Well, the psalm continues, and this is the last point that I want to make. It continues in that uh, penitential light with David condemning his sin and confessing the depths of his iniquity. So David's pleading for renewal. David pleaded for more than just forgiveness. He pleaded for renewal. He wanted to be changed by God. And this was a mark of his genuine repentance. Forgiven people don't just presume on God's forgiveness and keep on doing that which results in guilt and anguish. Those who are genuinely accept God's forgiveness in Christ seek with the Holy Spirit's help to live for Christ and to live godly lives so that whatever we do or say or think honours God. We are to be changed people. And this comes out very clearly in the psalm, in verse 10 onwards. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. A steadfast spirit is one that will keep Dave right before God and obedient to his word and purposes. In verse 11, he says, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Not that God's spirit would ever be removed from a believer, but by our sinfulness, we can still grieve the Holy Spirit and we can, by our sinfulness, quench the Holy Spirit's working in our lives. And so David's plea to God here is that God will not treat him as one deserving of condemnation. David wanted confirmation that he was God's child and would never fall away like Saul before him. And so in verse 12, David pleaded, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Transformed people, changed by the grace of God, coming into their lives in a powerful way, will always live God's way by choice and not because they have to. So David pleaded here for a willing spirit, a life yielded to the purposes of God. And as this psalm concludes in verse 17, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, O God, will not despise. This statement at the end of Psalm 51 is foundational to everything we uphold as Christians. When we are broken and contrite before God, God fills us with hope and love and joy and forgiveness because he is a gracious God. The only sacrifice that is acceptable to God now is a dedicated life totally committed and loyal to Christ. 
the church has room for contrition of all different kinds. We respond to sin by claiming God's forgiveness in Christ and then wholeheartedly living in a way that honours God and his son Jesus. This is the heart of true worship, a dedicated way of life showing inner transformation and renewal just as David modelled. We are all experts in sin, but we are all forgiven people, so we are to live as forgiven people. Let me pray. Lord God, we know that when we acknowledge our sin before you, your forgiveness is as certain as the dawning of a new day. Help us never to take your love and mercy for granted, but always to show our thankfulness by the way that we live. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.